guidance in all these things. And may you receive the glory, Lord. We are just your servants and pray that we would just uh, do it humbly before you. Um, and we give you all the glory. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 So uh, I think to start with, I, I will tell you this, that my mind has changed on this subject. Now, when I first became an elder many years ago, out here, quickly. When I first became an elder many years ago, um, I thought of elders' authority different than I do today, and so through searching the scriptures and trying to determine it, I will tell you what I think today, as opposed to what I thought 30 years ago. So, um, and probably what I was taught by other elders. So. Um, that being said, also, when I sent out the questions, I wrote the first reference down wrong, and so I sent the questions out again, but I'm not sure that everyone realized that it was a corrected version that Matt sent out the second time. So um, if you're confused about the first reference, it's because I totally wrote down the wrong reference. So um, a little preamble before we get started. Um, it's unfortunate in today's churches and especially and even in the in the assemblies that elders, teachers, and full-time workers exert or attempt to exert a heavy-handed authoritarian type of control over their over their flock. And while many of these leaders are well-meaning, frequently authoritarianism is rooted in a hunger for power and control. And these leaders rationalize and defend such behavior under the guise of love and shepherding. The Bible indeed gives a certain level of spiritual authority to church leadership, but all too often such authority is abused and misused, going well beyond what the scriptures allow or teach. As a result, many sincere and well-intentioned believers are led astray into extra and unbiblical teachings. The ultimate outcome is a distorted view of Christ and the gospel, which causes many to ultimately walk away from God altogether. For those that manage to function within an authoritarian church, Commonly, feelings of guilt, condemnation, and worthlessness hang like a dark cloud over their Christian walk. Obviously, this is not what God intended for his children. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, I did, I'm going to answer the questions, but I'm not positive. I'm going to answer them exactly in the order, sorry, exactly in the order that I gave them. So, bear with me if I take the questions a little bit out of order. But when we consider the authority of the elders, the first thing we need to look at is that it is delegated authority. And what do we consider the authority of it? Why do we consider the authorities of the elders to be delegated authority? And that's the first question. Does anybody have thoughts on that? I'm going to just, we got Eric here. He's new. Eric. Please feel free to jump in if you want and uh, just unmute yourself. I know I muted everybody, but unmute yourself if you want to talk. This is very interactive. So with that, go ahead. I'm stuffing my face, but I'll, I'll uh, answer. Uh, it's delegated as in the chief shepherd gave the under shepherd the authority, you might say, to take care of and feed his sheep. 
okay? So 1 Peter 5, 4 indicates that there's a chief shepherd and that elders are under shepherds or, or answerable to the chief shepherd, right? Anybody come up with some other verses in that regards? So Colossians 1.18 would come to mind. It says, um, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that is all things he might have the preeminence. In Colossians 2, he, he tells them that one of their issues is they're not holding the head. So the first thing to remember is that the elders are not the head of the church. There is someone else above them and over them. So their authority is definitely secondary or delegated. Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, which is most of us know, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is a savior of the body. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to their own husbands and everything. It go, stands the reason that the church is subject to Christ, that the elders are subject to Christ and they're under his authority and therefore it's delegated authority. And then on 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying have his head covered, dishonor of his head. Uh, one thing that we should point out is sometimes authority does not mean superiority. And this verse particularly would indicate that since it, it shows order but not order by superiority or inferiority because we know that the head of Christ is God and they're absolutely equal in all, in all ways. So being authority doesn't mean you're superior in any way, shape or form. Desiring the position of an elder because of the power involved is extremely superficial. One of the most difficult aspects of being an elder is submitting to God's will, particularly when things don't go our way. The man who seeks the elder position to get power will soon discover that he has very little spiritual power from God to elevate his ministry and credibility as a spiritual leader. The center of power resides not with us, but with the true head of the church. This requires the humility to be sensitized to the Holy Spirit's leading and not just to assume that our decisions are automatically identical, identical to the Lord's guidance. Jesus portrays his followers as being all on equal standing, that those who strive to lead must first do so with humility and not power. And I cited the reference. I think the reference I wrote down was 13, Matthew 13. And the reference that I meant to write down was actually Matthew 23. So when I sent out the questions a second time, it had a corrected, corrected version. Anybody look that up or want to read it? I did look that up, uh, and it refers to the fact that we the scribes and uh, this. The scribes should be obeyed, but we are not to do as they do because they don't do what they say. They're hypocrites. Uh, and uh, additionally, we're not to call anyone father or teacher, rabbi, but the, the greatest shall be uh, the servant. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So we should not love to have prominence. 
I, I'm, and and from this verse a little bit, it's it's good to designate elders. It's good to be known as an elder. But I wouldn't go around people saying this is elder so and so or this is elder so and so because I don't know that it's it's a it, it, because the verse says and greetings in the market and be called men of rabbi rabbi but be not called rabbi for one is your master even Christ and you're all brethren so once again it's a sense of uh, a superiority there's there's authority without superiority which is which is a difficult concept and as as we read in peter when we studied peter it's we're among the elders are those that are among the sheep they're not elevated above the sheep they come from among the sheep but basically um in this in the passage that ray was citing jesus specifically forbids the disciples and all those desiring to be leaders of the church to take a position of individual power or authority or or to be domineering now one of the things that is important concept that we need to we need to consider or look at is looking at the New Testament church uh, church letters, epistles that Paul wrote. And the first thing is most of the most of those epistles do not mention elders. So there are some who would teach that in fact those assemblies did not have elders. But Acts 14.23 tells us, and when they had ordained the elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Luke would tell us that as they traveled around that they commended elders in every assembly. But he does not hold the elders responsible. Or does he hold the elders responsible to solve the problems? And so as you read those epistles, it's 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 you need to note that when he writes to Corinth, which had problems in the first epistle and had problems in the second epistle, that nowhere does he address the elders as the ones who should be solving the problem. In First Corinthians 7, he doesn't even address the elders that they should have been handling discipline because many people believe that elders should should be the only ones who discipline. I think you'd have a hard time showing that from the New Testament. When he had all his struggles with 2 Corinthians and he's writing a very loving appeal to them, he's writing to the to those and in some ways almost bypassing the leaders. He's appealing to them as a congregation. He doesn't say you elders have failed, you elders have let sheep come in, you elders are allowing the wrong leaders nothing like that paul's letter to the philippians demonstrate again the practices of addressing individuals of the congregation he opens the book by addressing the congregation along with the elders and deacons and this is the only letter he includes the elders and deacons in the greeting but as he writes the letter he doesn't address them to solve the problems he's addressing the whole assembly and what to do and how they should live and we really see this also in the writings of Peter, James, and John. Paul's not addressing the elders is not proof that there were no elders, but it shows the acknowledgement of each believer standing in the spirit and the responsibility for God in that standing. And I believe it's just like the Lord taught in Matthew 23, which is the passage that Ray referred to. 
everyone is of equal standing and everyone is accountable, not just the leaders. However, Paul does address the opposite. And what's the opposite? It seems in Corinth that there were church in the church that he that wished to bring the church into bondage by exalting themselves above others. In other words, these self-important leaders were enslaving the congregation with their authority and the Corinthians foolishly tolerated. In 2 Corinthians 11, 19 and 20, it says this, for you suffer fools gladly since you yourself are wise, for you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you in the face. This is a very definition of a bully. It's a very definition of someone who is who is exercising dominion to the point that they would smite you in the face. He brings you into bondage, he devours you, take you, exalt himself. So this is a very definition of someone who should never be an elder, and if he is an elder, should be removed. And he's addressing the assembly and saying, you've allowed men to assume this authority over you and you're putting it up with it willingly. The opposite part of that argument in the rest of that chapter is, what have I done to injure you? What have I done to do to treat you in that manner? You accept them and you're rejecting me. And so he makes a very clear case that he never exercised that type of authority. He never treated anyone like that. So we're going to skip down to the third, the third uh, question. So I told you I didn't take them in order, and my apologies. So Lee, how do can elders... I break in for a second? What? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I'm going too fast. Go no, for it. No, just that you were mentioning that uh, that there's a problem when people allow themselves to be treated uh, that way, but yet there seem to be people who are almost looking for somebody to bully them or to at least make every decision for them so that and they can be passive. We were going to get to that, but we can jump ahead to that now. Let me see if I can um, find it. So it's, it's um, I have this under a, another title, but we'll, we'll discuss it now since Ray brings it up. So the, while the authority, the elders' authority is delegated, it's the responsibility of each of the members of the local body to listen, submit to those who, through example, are walking worthy of their calling. And the the passage I would refer to uh, that Ray is talking about is First Samuel eight five and seven, and I think I put that in the notes, but I'm not positive. Uh, hang on, I actually have a copy of those notes. I can double check. Um. Yeah, so I put that in there. But if you didn't read it, here's what it says. And and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now take it, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. This is what the nation is saying to Samuel. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. When we want someone to tell us what to do and when to do it, what it's really saying is 
we're not walking in the spirit. The Bible tells us four times that just shall walk by faith. Walking in faith, walking in the spirit, this, the flesh gravitates to legalism every time. And the flesh wants to be told what to do. It's easier for someone else to tell me what it is than it is for me to walk in the spirit and have the spirit tell me whether I'm right or wrong. It's easier for someone else to tell me what to do than to have me be before the spirit and be convicted by the spirit. The result is, if you didn't tell me no, then that means yes, because you told me no on so many things that what you didn't tell me no on means yes, and I can do it. And we tend to use that legalism to justify loopholes in the law, so we end up doing what we want to do. And if, if we desire someone to tell us what to do, we are repeating the failures of Israel. And so we must guard against depending on anyone but the Spirit of God to rule over us. If we are looking for someone to make all the decisions we're failing the way Israel did. So I agree with Ray, as part of the problem why we're like Israel and that we look for a king is because we wanna be in bondage in some ways. We want someone to tell us what to do. We want someone to be in charge. We want someone to be controlling us. And they remove the decision process and, and that whole thing from us. You can guys give me feedback. Some of you have come from places that are you're more told what to do than others, but it, you have that sense. Can I speak up a little bit, Clay? Oh, anytime. Just jump in. You know, I, I like what you're saying, and I can I can see that it's a good guard against extremism and um, being dominated. But <clears throat> let's say you have. 20 men in a church and three of them are elders because they meet the qualifications. The other 17 are not elders because they don't meet the qualifications. And so suddenly you have a, a point come up, should the church do this? Or what do we do about this brother who's away from the Lord? And, you know, I understand what you're saying, but somebody's got to take the lead. Somebody's got to be responsible. I mean, and this is why God's placed the elders there. And so, you know, I, I don't, I, I, well, I understand what you're saying, and I agree we have to guard against it. Uh, suddenly, you've got 17 men in my illustration who are saying, well, let's do this, or let's do that. Somebody's got to take the lead, and I think that's why God makes them elders. And so... Well, that's, the, that's, I, the next, that's the next question. How can the elders lead without exercising dominion? Well, they, they lead by, by, by giving instruction from the Word of God. They, give, they, they can say, this is what we think we should do, and and, uh, well, you know, and, and uh, people need to respect their elders and obey those that have the rule over you and so forth. So, uh, you know, I, I can see two sides here. And um, we, 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 we um, if, if, if it's being leadership in the church is from the free for all by every, per, every man in the building, it's, it, there's got to be godly leadership. Absolutely. And so the question is, and that's what we're trying to look at these scriptures for, is how do you exercise godly leadership without exercising dominion, without exercising complete control? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's why I was saying both sides. And that's the question. So how do you do that? Is How do you do that is what we're talking about tonight. I told you not everyone agrees with my opinion on this. I told you that up front. In fact, my opinion changed, my own opinion changed on this. So 
So you bring up the verse, and we that's the verse we should look at. It's Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that give account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And many people would, this is a verse many use to, to justify abusive control or authoritarianism yeah. by the leaders of, or elders of churches. Obey those who have the rule over you. So, so, and I, and I probably at one time thought this too. So what does it mean? What is that verse saying? And if you look at it carefully, I think it's not saying what many try to make it say. I don't have an answer to that exactly, but I, in your, how do, how do they lead? I would take the example of a shepherd and the shepherd generally leads the flock, right? So the elders need to lead by example. I had a question kind of going back a little bit of the bull elder and you said that man needs to be removed. Um, I, I clearly a lot of these issues come up because of pride in a lot of cases, but how is that done? Like we've already discussed elders and, and um, they've been placed there by God and not, you know, it's a delicate balance when you say if somebody's stepping out of line, they need to be removed, but yet you have to, um, you know, it, obey those that have the rule over you. It's one of the very toughest things to do is to remove a bull elder. And one of the things that we've talked about that should characterize elders is humility. And so you have, like in Jeff's example, three elders, or you might have four elders, and one of them's a bull elder. And are the other three, humble as they are, willing to stand up for them? Ray covered the passage that I in the session that I missed about watch, watch, because it, it will come up from among you. And he's speaking to the elders. There, there, there are people who will be among the elders who should not be elders. And are elders on watch to take care of those that are, are in their group of elders? who are for whatever reason no longer qualified are becoming through pride as maybe was mentioned through domineering through bullying that they're doing things which are just not right are the other elders willing to say brother you're out of line it's a hard thing to do and it just can't be one elder standing up they all have to stand up and if, if they don't, then what happens is usually the elder who can't stand up usually ends up resigning and, and often leaving that assembly and moving on somewhere else because he doesn't know how to stand up to the group that supports the bold elder because that's what they want. That's why the selection of elders is so important. I mean, if you select a bully, you're going to be stuck with them. It's going to be really hard to remove them. Does that answer your question, Matt? Yeah, I, I think the best you can answer it. And like you said, it's a difficult thing. I, I kind of say uh, as like the purpose of this Bible study is to look out and, and, and for palms to have knowledge to recognize elders. I would say it's one of these things that we have to really guard against. I've seen the damage it can do. And whoever becomes elders before it becomes needs to purpose in their hearts to watch out for this. And it almost should be something said 
to the church and among the elders themselves, just in my opinion. So I attend a National Elders and Workers Together Conference, which is probably going to get canceled this year because of the virus, but I've been in a room with 20 other workers or elders, and that's the question. How do you remove a bull elder? And the answer is, I don't know. You tell me. Because it's very hard, and most people, when challenged with that, find it very difficult to... to and so sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's waiting on the Lord and the Lord removes them. Sometimes the other elders can actually say, this is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, that's not acceptable to us. But what, what we just talked about is desiring a king. There's sometimes elders are part of that problem of desiring a king. They're looking for someone to be the leader of their group. So I, I have... Uh heard at least one way uh, that an elder was removed and you touched on it just now, uh, Clay. I uh, just wanted to say that I have actually seen it happen where uh, the elders, the assembly, some members of the assembly approached the elders from another assembly saying that this one person is a problem. He is actually causing pain in the assembly. And so the other assembly elders and uh, came and confronted him and said, this is going on. And then that elder willingly stepped down. Praise the Lord. If they're a real bully, though, sometimes they don't step down at the suggestion. You, you have to. And unfortunately, we haven't discussed this, but unfortunately, if you don't wait upon the Lord and it's not the Lord's timing, it's not the Lord doing it, it comes across like you did it in the flesh, that you're unfair, that you're unloving, and it usually splits the assembly because there's somebody in that assembly who thinks that man's a good elder and they would follow him. And so it's really tough. And I've seen that happen too when someone was removed. So we're looking at um, Hebrews 13, 17, obey them to have the rule over you. And, and um, some would take this as blanket authority over the flock and trust in them that they can proceed to take control over the personal lives and the personal faith of believers. I think if you do a, a careful word study, I think the word obey in this passage literally means to be persuaded by in the original text. I don't think anything in this verse gives church leadership unrestrained control over the lives of others. I, just, I think instead it teaches believers to consider the example set by a truly loving, God-fearing servant leaders that lead us to Christ. If I was to paraphrase this verse, I'd paraphrase it like this. Be persuaded by your, yield, by your leaders and yield to or stop resisting them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account, let them do this with joy, not with grief. So this would be unprofitable for you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the responsibility of, of the of the congregation or responsibility of the flock. But I think it's it's important to understand that the word translated "rule" here is a Greek word H E G E O M A I, which means to lead and also translated to guide, and it really means like a shepherd to stand in front and lead the way. 
And how do, how do elders stand in front and lead the way? By teaching the word of God. I believe the elder's greatest authority is the word of God. Using the word of God that changes minds and sets souls to the right course. Far too often, elders shut the mouths, not by the word of God, but by dominion or force. An elder that is a bully has no place in the house of God. So we, we looked at these verses last week with, with Ray. If you got a comment, jump in, guys, because there's a lot of material, and I don't want to last three weeks on this section. So, But if you have a comment, feel free to speak up. So we looked at this verse last night, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Yes. Uh, I think you, you're talking about the word there uh, of, in Hebrews 13, 17, obey, then have the rule over you. And a lot of times coming from where the assemblies that I've grown up in, right alongside that would be children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And I just want to point out, and I'm sure everybody on this call knows, but um, those are com two completely different words. Obey, uh, children obey your parents. It's completely different obey than obey them that have the rule over you. And when you look at that, <clears throat> it, uh, I, I liked what you brought out about it's, it's being persuaded. It's that person, that elder has enough love and care for you to open the word of God, to persuade not just your mind, but your, your whole soul to follow what the word of God says. That's where their authority comes from. And, and I believe that that's one of the ways that elders lead to the authority of the word of God. I, 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 I would give you an example of that. I was working with the church in Fullerton where Ken Dodders now is. He spoke at the conference and it was before Ken got there and right about the time Ken came and we worked together for a year at that assembly. It, it was left with no functioning elders. There was a man who was back from the mission field. He was active in that assembly. He lived in, in Oceanside. And so every, every week when I went up there to teach, I would pick him up on the way up and we would have about an hour ride, hour and a half ride together back and an hour and a half ride back. And we, we discussed some things and, and he said, I would like to help this assembly more. And I said to him, why don't you? And he said, because they've never appointed me as an elder. And so I asked him why he needed the, the title of an elder to be able to help that assembly. And he said, well, when I, go to, when I go to the mission field, Bolivia is where he serves. When I go to Bolivia, I'm like the apostle Paul to like five assemblies. When there's problems, I come in as the authority and tell them what they need to do to fix the problem. He said, if they'd appoint me as an elder, I could come in and fix the problem because I could tell them what to do. And my response to that was, and I don't want this to come across wrong. My response to that was, do you think that I have authority in this assembly? And he goes, yes, you do. And I go, I'm not an elder. I hold no position in this assembly. Why do you think I have authority in this assembly? He goes, because they listen to you. 
Well, why did they listen to me? Because I opened the word of God and I used the word of God to explain what I believe is the right course of action to take. And I said, so why can't you do that? Why do you need a position in order to help? He goes, well, I don't think I can do what you do with the word of God. Well, then that raises the question, should you be an elder if you're not apt to teach? So it, <laughs> then it becomes circular. So if you're, if you're, if you can't use the word of God to persuade men to do the right thing, then you're left with bullying or force or dominion to get people to do the right thing. But as we go on here, um, Clay, I think we need we th at this point we need to go straight back to where you began. It's delegated authority that right. that, that the elders have, and they uh, have authority. Uh, based upon the word of God. And if, it, and I think that has to be stressed because if anyone thinks that they have authority because they've, they, because they're called by a title, then it's, it's entirely backward. All authority in the church is based upon the word of God. If we cannot prove from the word of God, why we do what we do, then we have a problem. Okay. And it goes back, it goes back to the epistles. If there were elders in each of those epistles, Paul never addresses the, the elders except in Philippians, in greeting, the rest of the epistles is all written to the flock. So we have to be really careful of taking on authority that is not ours. Once again, I'll, the disclaimer is, I didn't used to hold this. I changed. So first, first Timothy 5.17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And the same thing goes there with rule, to stand in front, to lead the way. Um, and, and once again, the, work, the Greek word here is P-R-O-I-S-T-E-M-I, -E to stand before, hence to lead. It's translated with the word over in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, and it's used also in 1 Timothy to speak of ruling one's own house. So it's the idea of rule, it's the same idea that you rule your house well. You're over your house. When I do marriage counseling, one of the things that we talk about is how do you rule your house? If you're ruling your house as a bully or by force, you're ruling your house wrong. If you have to pull rank in order to get your way on a certain thing, you're probably not leading. You're ruling or, or, or domineering. If it's the right thing to do, other people will agree that it's the right thing to do. If it's truly the right thing, and, and I'll tell you, when I do marriage counseling, one of the great, great things is if the husband's selfish or he's a bully and the wife is trying to tell him what he wants to do is wrong and he will not listen to her. And he blindly goes ahead with what he thinks he should do. And the family ends up in problems, financial or otherwise, because he would not listen to his wife, who tried to warn him that the course he was taking was wrong. And, and so leadership, and, and you, you folks who are, who are parents realize this, I'm sure, leadership has to be done in a style that's not bullying or domineering. You have to lead. You have to lead by example. You have to be reasonable. You have to lead by wisdom. You have to lead in such a manner that people follow. We're going to talk about that a little bit in this next one. So what's the response of, 
the, the, the second question, which I've taken out of order now, what responsibility does the assembly have regarding the authority of the elders? You know, when I, I go to one church and every time I go, they make they give me a passage and they ask me to write five questions. I write the five questions and then I go there and ask the questions and I get absolute silence. And then they say, we know who's speaking when we read the questions because they're, su because they're such hard questions to answer. So my apologies if, if the questions are impossible to answer, but. Repeat the question, Clay. I don't have them in front of me. All right, what responsibility does the assembly have regarding the authority of the elders? And by the way, if you're new here, we, we try to send out five, let make sure Matt has your email address and we try to send out five questions in advance so we have some basis to have a discussion. So I can sort of warn you which direction we're going in. Because I don't want to do all the talking, this should be a discussion. I'm sorry, Clay. I think we find this topic, this section, at least for me, to be very difficult because it's, uh, I don't know, not the way I was raised in any way, shape. All right. So let me let me let me read you some. Let me give you some information then. So Hebrews 13 charges that the people in the church to remember in verse seven, to obey, which we discuss in verse 17, and to greet in verse 24 their leaders. We discuss that we discuss that rule means to, to lead and obey means to be persuaded by. Um, the idea is to lead and not to drive the flock. It is important for a leader to lead in the path of righteousness and to be a godly example of the flock. So one of the references I gave you was First Corinthians sixteen fifteen and sixteen. I beseech you, brother, know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia. And that you have addicted, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So Paul's saying that this idea of being submitted is you are submit to those that by their lifestyle have demonstrated that they're living for Christ and that they're servants serving the church. It's very hard to be a bully and a servant at the same time. But the flock is to know the elders. And, I'm, and, and that means you know their manner of life. You know what's happening in their home. You know how they are. You know whether they are quick-tempered. And, and we, went over, we went three weeks over the qualifications. Are they a battler? Are they defensive? Are they proud? Are they humble? Are they long-suffering? Do you know them? And then if you know them and they're Christ-like, then you submit to them. Matt, are you in Washington? Not yet, Matt. Are you in Washington? No, I'm here, Clay. You're soon Thanks. leaving? No, we start meetings on Sunday. So it'll be virtual, yeah. It's all going to be virtual? Yeah, VBS and gospel both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're praying... We're praying for you. Now that I know it's virtual, we'll pray even more. I know. <laughs> Thanks, bro. And then, and then in First Thessalonians, sorry about that, guys. I, I need to ask. First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And that over is the same thing. It's the same idea. It's the same word 
that is translated rule in other places and to esteem them very highly in love for their work sakes and to be at peace among yourselves. So in Hebrews, we talked about it mean, it mean to be persuaded by and to, to, and the idea of submit there was um, to yield to or stop resisting. And in Thessalonians, it's sort of the same idea. You esteem them very highly. It's easy to follow someone you super, you respect. But the, why do you respect them? Because they're a bully? No, you respect them because the way they handle the word of God and the example of their life. Wait, wouldn't you um, agree that the process then of recognizing elders becomes extremely important? And uh, <laughs> that th these questions are, have already been, in a sense, dealt with. Because the church has, the way I've always done it and the different assemblies I've been an elder in, is the church um, has already done this. They, what we have done is in the past, we, we, we prayed about having more elders and uh, we asked amongst ourselves as an elder group, who do we think is qualified? And uh, who would, he answers all the things that you've been raising. Once we have done that, uh, we don't do what Paul did. We um, then take it to the flock and we say uh, to the, we make an announcement after the Lord's Supper. Uh, dear, dear brothers and sisters, the elders believe that brother so-and-so um, <clears throat> could be possibly recognized as an elder. What do you think? How do you react to this? And uh, I, I didn't say that as well as I could have. But then we say, we're going to wait for a couple of weeks. And if you have any doubts or any illustrations or anything that you are concerned with, please come to one of the elders and tell us. And so then we've gone through the whole process for two weeks, putting this name before the fellowship. And, um, you know, then we're pretty sure then that the, the people that we're working with are qualified men. They've, they've been examined by the other elders. They've been examined by the church. And the church has willingly accepted them as, as such. And so that, to me, that's, that's the key. How do we recognize and other, other I, elders? I know, when, I know when Ray was teaching the Acts passage, and I, was, I listened to it on the recording, that you raised the same issue. And if I'd been there that night, I would have made the same comments I'm going to make now. In a perfectly run, spiritually guided assembly, with excellent elders, that system can work and I have seen it work. The problem is if the assembly is off course and the elders are not true or good elders, that system does not work and is, and is a disaster. So once again, it's, I'm not saying that it won't, it can't work. I'm just saying more often than not, I've seen that system not work. And here's, and here's the drawback. The elders meet and too often they choose someone they think they can work with rather than someone who meets all the qualifications. They present that name to the assembly and some of the assemblies go, wow, how could they choose him to be an elder? Don't they know him? Someone gets brave enough and approaches the elders and say, what about this, this, and this? And I've, and I've seen this happen firsthand when I was 28 years old, which is a long time ago, and the elder said, don't you trust our judgment? 
So they put it out there for feedback, but they're really not looking for feedback. And I'm not saying you would ever do this, Jeff. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm I've just never, saying I've seen I've, that happen too many times. I've never seen it happen. And um, I, I've seen it happen more than once in several assemblies. Well, I, I'm sorry you've had that negative or that bad experience. Um, when I was 28, the man had the most out of control children in the whole assembly. And several people went to the elders and said, he does not rule his household well, he's not qualified. And they go, yeah, he, he's a little lacking in that area, but we find him, uh, we find him improved in every other area. So that's why we're, we've chosen him. Oh, I'm sorry you've had all these negative experiences. Um, I, one time in 30 years, I was, I was in an assembly where there was a strong man tending to be a diatrophies and we, and he had most of the other elders under his thumb. And so we, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenge, but that, you know, that was the only negative experience I've had in 30 plus years and, and, and going to the flock, we have to go to the flock. Yes. Look at brother so-and-so, yes. we think, you know, what do you think? And then if the other elders are yeah. mistaken, then you, yeah, you've got a real mess in the church. Yep. Yep. There's got to be some, some process. You can't just yep. say, well, we've got a mess well, in the church and then what do we do? <laughs> So. Yes. So, so partly it's behooves the elders to keep an eye out and you might even ask someone to start meeting with you and in a, in a training situation. And after he's met with you a while to see how things go and then put his name and ask the church. But I've, I've been in, I've lit, I, I mean, I've been in elder groups where there was quite a debate whether someone should be an elder and we didn't agree among ourselves that somebody should be an elder and it was a vote and the vote was two to one and we put that person's name out to be an elder when he wasn't qualified, shouldn't have been a, an elder and was put forth because the other two elders thought that he would be on their side and help them in any arguments we might have in the future. Well, we, we always made it, you had to be unanimous. Uh, we, if there, were, there were seven of us in one place and uh, if it was five to two, we wouldn't recognize them. We talked about yeah. them. So, you know, it so, so I, I agree that that method can work and I maybe even seen it work, but too often I've seen it fail. So it takes, it takes a well-functioning assembly and you've obviously been in those that it will work. I've seen it. I've, I've helped a number of assemblies where that, that all they did was put forth names and, and the flock was so shocked at the names. They didn't even bother to protest because they said, if they're going to choose someone that unqualified, what can we say? Mm. So, just to let you know, I've seen it. I've seen it both ways. So, one of the one of the things that I think we should. Hey, Clay. Yes. Uh, I, I would just maybe suggest that if elders are needed, okay, say there's current elders and other elders are needed to do the work. Um, the elders are going to have an idea in their mind who might be qualified, who might be already doing the work or helping with the work. And that's fine. I would suggest taking it to the church and saying, hey, we need some help. Who do right. you recognize? Right. Because before, before the elders throw a name out, I think it's 
it would behoove them to hear from the church as to who the church recognizes as the word. And that, that's a method that I've seen work with success is that you say, we'd like to add to the elders or we think there's some qualified people that should be elders. Tell us who you think, who's shepherding you. Tell us who's leading you. Tell us who you're willing to follow and submit those names and let us consider those names. And then if there's something the elders know about an individual that maybe the whole flock doesn't know, then they can, they can visit with that individual or eliminate an individual. But that way you don't have to go and veto the elders decision of who they've already decided on. And unfortunately, and I'm sorry, my experience is different than Jay and then, uh, than Jeff's, they get offended that you're questioning their decision to, to choose this man as an elder, or they accuse you of slander or, or worse because you're questioning his character. So um, been there, done that, seen it too many times. I'm a little leery of that method. I prefer the method that Matt suggested So um, for myself. But there are many methods and when we get to selection of elders, we can talk about some of those methods. Yeah, and I think kind of the, the, the whole thing that we're discussing right now isn't necessarily selection. It's keeping in line, for lack of a better word, right? Um, and right. I, we go back to like, like kind of like qualifications. I think it just brings out pride can sneak in. Like you could be a really good elder when you were selected. Um, but I think we've all seen pride take hold of somebody. And so I, I think we need to guard against that as an assembly and keep the elders honest whoever they are and the other elders I, I can't stress enough i think really need to make it a point of actually discussing and keeping that in front of their minds to keep each other accountable david's a great illustration of that when he took over the kingdom he was a humble servant leader but at some point he, he ended up numbering the kingdom and the reason he numbered the kingdom was because of pride. And so at some point, pride played a role. And pride can be tough. I'm, I'm telling you, pride, pride can affect us in many, in many, many ways. In many, many, many ways. Um, the verse, uh, hang on, I jumped ahead now. Um, Titus. So one of the... One of the things I believe the authority of an elder is earned authority. And as a flock knows the elders and their manner of life, their sacrifice on behalf of the sheep and their wisdom in handling the word of God, respect and submission comes naturally. Paul wrote Titus and he said this, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. If the manner of your life is such that they have no evil thing to say of you, and that brings us back to above reproach, and your doctrine is correct, and and later in, in later at the end of that, um, in the end of that Titus two passage, he says, with all re with all authority, meaning with using the word of God, rebuke and correct. And so it's, it's if your manner of life is right, you have more room than to say what you're doing is wrong because you're setting an example that people can follow. So 1 Peter 5.3 said that, right? Neither as being lords 
over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So while elders' authority is delegated, it's a responsibility of each of the members of the local body to listen, submit to those through examples, are walking worthy of their calling. You should be able to identify those who are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, tracing his path that you want to walk behind. It, it, Paul was able to say, be followers of me as I'm followers of Christ. In some ways, elders should be able to say that. And you should be able to recognize those who are living a life that exemplifies someone you would follow. That's why we, we've talked about this in the, in the past, but I'll bring it up again. Um, one of the things that it's important is that we're able through wisdom and the word of God show that we're someone that could be followed. That's why I'm a firm believer in men's meetings, because I believe that if elders make all the decisions in an elders meeting, the flock does not get to see their wisdom or their process or the word of God being used to direct the decision. That's why in men's meetings, you see that process. True leaders come to the top because of their wisdom and their style of life and the way they handle themselves in discussions, the way they explain things, what they know and their spirituality will show forth in a men's meeting. When elders meet separately, it, it, it becomes too much of a, a, a dominion type activity we make a decision, we hand it down to you to follow. In men's meetings, elders have great deal of influence. They can say and say what's wise. And people, my experience is people recognize that wisdom. And it makes sense to them. And they recognize who are the wiser among them. And they follow them. I think one of the troubles we fall into, Clay, is... Uh, that earned authority, that authority that's earned by uh, a, a constant uh, life that is guided by the Word of God or an example, uh, that's not something that can be done right now. It's not something we can, we can make everything look good if we, if we lead by example. And I think that's, that's where we can fall into the trap. Uh, some, it's, it's going to take time to to uh, get that confidence and that authority uh, this way. Well, and you know, I, I I worked very actively with the Church of Fullerton, but I was there over a twenty-year period of speaking and teaching. And when they asked me to come help, I was there on a weekly basis. Um, that over time, they recognize the wisdom in what I said, or they recognize the authority with which I said it, because I was based on the word of God. And I didn't tell them what to do. I didn't force them to do things. I wasn't a bully. And over time, they respected that. And it's like the old E.F. Hutton commercial, if some of you remember that very, very old commercial, and you have to be old like me to remember it, is that, you know, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It should be that way with elders, that when they speak, people listen because of their wisdom, their lifestyle, and their knowledge of the Word of God. And that's what I think it means to be persuaded by. So it's earned, but the flock gives that to them because they've earned it. Not because they've demanded it, not because they've 
they they're domineering not because and so uh we're covering more of this material than i thought what time is it oh it's eight o'clock <laughs> we're on the last one so let's try to finish so what is god's opinion of elders who exercise dominion Well, I think, uh, Clay, it's somewhere between foolish and evil. Okay. So, so the reference I put down was 3 John 9 through um, 11. And, and, the, and the prime example of that is Diotrephes. And it's in verse 11 says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil is not seen God. And I believe he's that is directly at Diotrephes, and it's saying that Diotrephes is evil. So someone who's in control, John MacArthur has a really good book on churches that abuse, and it's about domineering control and, and, and legalism and the whole nine yards, and it's a good book that I've read probably 25 years ago. But if you wanna know about abuse and churches that abuse, that's a good book to read. It's not, all and some of it's pretty over the top because some churches are, you know, um, the guy like down in Guana who has complete control and people just follow him, you know, like robots. But it, it can also apply to places where you have bullying elders or bullying pastors who are in control and, and by force of will and, and, and make people do what they want. See, my fear is that people shut mouths, not with the word of God, but they shut mouths by, by telling, threatening or telling people they're going to leave. And I think that's evil. I think he calls that evil. So those who wish to act as dictators are not fulfilling a calling of God, but are instead elevating themselves into a position to serve their own self-interest and, and ambitions. And if you need a, the title in order to serve or to act or to help, then you're 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 falling into that position and they step outside of biblical teachings for the purpose of fulfilling their desires to control the lives of others and some of the greatest leaders of the paul peter john and even jesus himself explicitly taught against those that wish to lord it over believers ironically those that claim authority themselves reject genuine authority that of the scripture and of the lord jesus uh, lord jesus christ um i didn't mention this so far but uh, and we sort of mentioned in the qualification, if someone cannot submit to authority, they make terrible authorities. If they're so arrogant that they're always right and everyone else is always wrong, that's the bull elder. If you appoint him as an elder, he's going to be the bull elder because he's not even going to recognize the other elders as being right. He's going to insist on his way every single time. So, um, one of the things, the last thing, and, and, and I want to make this really clear, and, and Jeff probably is taught thinking of this, the elders do have authority to protect. When I was helping in the assembly in, in Fullerton, one of the things that came up was there was that someone came up to me and said, do you know we have someone here that's guilty of fornication in our, in our congregation? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, yes, everyone knows in the congregation that he's committed fornication. And I said, well, that's not a good thing. And so we, so we started looking into it as a men's group. 
because at that time there were no functioning elders. And so there was more like a leadership team. Well, it supposedly it had taken about place four years prior that someone, a, a, a man whose wife died giving birth to his son and his son was very handicapped and had a live-in housekeeper. The housekeeper had accused him of committing fornication with her. And the one elder who was in name only was there. And we said to him, we said, what did you guys do about it when this came to your attention? And his reply was, well, the Bible says he without the, without the sin cast the first stone. So we did nothing. So one of the young men turned to me and said, is that what the Bible teaches on this subject? And I said, of course not. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 7 and went over that for a while and 5 and, and discussed discipline in the assembly. But one of the things is, was it a false accusation or was it a true accusation? So one of the things the elders need to use their authority is to investigate these type of things and find out if they're true. Um, the lady spoke Spanish and I was told that someone who spoke Spanish had talked to her and came away not believing the charge and therefore they really didn't believe the charge. But no one ever said, we've investigated this man for, this, for a false charge and we have found him to be blameless. And that would have put the stop to the rumors. But five years later, this man is still being questioned. The rumors are still going around the assembly because no one ever did an investigation. No one ever gave him a clean bill of health. So they didn't protect the man who was falsely accused, nor if it was a true accusation, did they protect the assembly from sin. And so there are times that elders have to, have to be proactive and have to work and have to take some authority to do an investigation among themselves and find out so they can present it to the assembly for the assembly to act. So this is what I'll close with. The authority of elders is a delegated authority it's shared authority because it's plurality of elders. It's a limited authority. It is not absolute. It's based on the authority of scriptures. It has the authority to protect. It's earned respect and therefore earned authority. And it's servant authority because it's seeking the good of those that they lead. And we're six minutes late. My apologies. Oh, you're all good. <laughs> Um, Matt Heber, you want to close in prayer? I have a couple of announcements after that. Sure. Father in heaven, we're thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ, especially, Lord, when we consider the true shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Without Christ, we wouldn't even be having these meetings tonight. So we're thankful, Father, for providing through your grace the opportunity to meet as believers who are interested and what effective and spiritual and Christ-like leadership is and servant leadership and what that really is. And we just ask, Lord, to give us help as an assembly at Palms that we would make decisions moving forward and we would react and be proactive in certain things pertaining especially to elders in a way that would glorify yourself, your name, and your testimony in this neighborhood. Thank you for Clay and Ray who have really done a good job at leading these conversations. We know it takes time in the Word of God and steady prayer life, and we're just thankful for them and their exercise. And guide us, Father, now as we continue conversations together as believers. Thank you, Father, for this night you provided to us. The Word of God is the authority and the person of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.